You might be familiar with this passage. You probably might have heard it before and heard some messages on it. Um, at least been into a Bible class on the subject of Ezekiel. And maybe it's been some time since you have studied this. And if you haven't looked at it before or thought about it, I think you're going to find it very fascinating, the things that we read here about the watchman that we read about here in the text. I think about warning other people. And I got a question here on the screen. When will you warn someone of any kind of impending disaster coming upon them? Well, I'm warning my children all the time. Don't touch that. Don't play with that. Uh, don't run out in the road. Things like that. And so as you see someone about to step out into harm's way, you're evidently going to speak out. You're going to say, don't do that. You're going to give a warning about it. That's a very good thing to do. You might think of certain examples in your life when you've had to, just by your own words, save someone from something happening. You also might think about someone in your family or someone close to you that you had to actually confront about the way that they were living. It was very chaotic, it was destructive, and it was sinful. So there, there are times when we have to do that, when we see this need to warn others. So as we look at this in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to see some observations here in Ezekiel 33. So again, this passage will not be on the screen. But what we're going to notice here, first of all, is the Lord described Ezekiel as a watchman warning God's people of the coming army. He's a man put in charge, put on the wall, put in the tower to watch out for any coming army and to be able to, to blow the trumpet. And as him being a messenger of God and being a prophet, you can see how fitting that is. But then as we think about it as Christians, I think you can see the relevant uh, need to study this, to think of it as ourselves, as God has set us up as messengers and as evangelists, that we are warning the world. Christ is going to come. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, it says the Lord's going to come with fire, bringing vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. We know who's not going to be saved. It's not based upon someone merely being a good person. It's one of those great false teachings today. Well, good people go to heaven. I'm a good person, therefore I'm going to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Scripture teaches. That is a, a false teaching, and it is so common today. And I think it's a reason why we've got 180 million people disconnected from churches, and they don't know the Bible. They don't know the truth. It's because they have this false view of the gospel. I'm a good person, they keep telling themselves. What do you call that when you boast on yourself about how good you are. We call that pride. There's a lot of pride in it. And it's going to be the downfall of many people as people struggle today. You hear counselors talking about, you know, where are you with your self-esteem? When people degrade themselves or they, they get depressed and yet they swing the other direction and say, well, I'm a good person. And they got friends around them telling them, you're doing the right thing. You're going the right direction. And nobody really knows unless their focus and their foundation is on God, and it really begins there. Throughout the study on the subject of evangelism, we've been looking at two things that we need to stress when we're teaching others. And that, number one, is who God is, knowing who the Creator is. Because today a lot of people have a lot of false ideas. They assume false ideas so they don't have to follow God. The second one is who Christ is and what He teaches what has he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection? How do I conform to that, and how does it change my life? And what good comes from that? What comes from that as far as eternal life? 
Those are things that are very basic and fundamental to evangelism that we want to be telling the world. So we look at Ezekiel here, and he's talking to Israel. Now, when you open up Ezekiel, and give you a little bit of background, uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 and chapter 33 are, are different beginning points. In chapter 3, you go there, and God says to Ezekiel, you're my watchman. And this is before Jerusalem is destroyed. Now, Ezekiel is not in Jerusalem. He's been taken away, and, and he's in the first wave of exile that the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, have taken him over into Babylon. So he is living there, and he becomes a prophet. Now, he would have been a younger contemporary of another prophet in the Bible, Jeremiah. You remember the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah one, warning the people again, don't do this, destruction is coming. Um, there are a lot of fascinating things in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel to do some strange things. You ever read Ezekiel about him cooking food? And he was first commanded to do it over human dung to make a message. And then God said, no, you, you use, use cattle dung. But he still had to do that. And he had to lay on his side. And he had to make this, he made a model of Jerusalem and put bankments, embankments against it and showed it under siege to stress to the people that there were hard times coming. And Ezekiel began doing this about seven years before Nebuchadnezzar would destroy Jerusalem and take all of the people away. Later on in Ezekiel, after the destruction of Jerusalem, you have in Ezekiel 33, God again coming to Ezekiel and saying, this is what the watchman's job is. You're the watchman. So let's read that text, and we're going to make some more observations from it. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, the sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken, if he had taken warning, he should have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, the sword comes and takes any one of them. That person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I shall require at the watchman's hand. And so whether you're a sinner or wicked or not, your guilt's going to fall on you. But as far as the watchman, he has a job to do. And if he doesn't do it, he bears sin in doing it. He does what is wrong. So we have a parable here, a very interesting idea of what we are doing, especially as Christians, as God's messengers of bringing the gospel. And that is to warn other people about how they're living or to examine themselves. I think the most common thing today is when, when we look in our Bibles and we read this, the number of people who are converted and become Christians in the book of Acts, we would generally say there were good people. Cornelius, the Ethiopian eunuch, they already believed in God. They already worshiped God. Why do they need to obey the gospel? Why do they need, to need Jesus and his sacrifice and need to be baptized? Into so a lot of times we see that, but at the same time, I, I think that might be some of the hardest people to talk to. It's the ones who, oh, I believe in God, and I have my Bible, and I believe in Jesus. That's all I need. 
Uh, how do we address that? Now, we've discussed this before. I think questions are a good way to start opening up and, and getting into discussion and, and understanding how our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones think. As we look at the Watchman parable that's, that's presented right here, it illustrates responsibility and duty. And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Um, we live in a world today where people run away from responsibility. When they say, I'm not responsible. It's not my duty. What account do I have to give? But the Bible makes it clear, and I think the text of Ezekiel illustrates that very well. We are responsible. And how will we stand before God on the day of judgment? We've been given a mission. Did you live up to the mission? Did you study the Word? Did you make disciples? Did you help train others in the study of Scripture? Did you talk to others who did not know God and did not know Christ? Did you do that? Now again, when we're looking at Ezekiel being the watchman, you've got Israel. They, they should have been the people of God, but another description you got in, in Ezekiel is you have a description of the elders and the leaders of Israel worshiping idols in secret, defiling the temple, people living in sexual immorality at the same time, they're saying, yeah, we believe in Yahweh, and yet they're living in sin and idolatry and doing all kinds of things. The city had become greatly wicked, and so God allows Nebuchadnezzar to take them. We see this as well. The person who does not listen to God's messenger bears his own guilt against his life. He bears the guilt of his own blood. But the messenger who does not warn the people is guilty along with the people. He has a sin of his own if he does not blow the trumpet. So, again, as we think about the mission of making disciples, of preaching the gospel, of sharing the truth, you know, passages that came to mind when I was reading Ezekiel was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I believe it's verse 11 where Paul says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Throughout the New Testament, I cannot get past the idea that we must relate and understand ourselves as watchmen. We're to be warning others. Who are the watchmen today to warn the world of God's coming judgment through Jesus Christ? We are. How much good comes from not taking responsibility for what God tells you that you can do? We're not given a mission that we cannot accomplish. God, Christ doesn't say, go make disciples, but you won't really be able to make any. Or you're going to share the gospel, nobody's really going to listen to you. That's not what we're told, and that's not what we're given. There might be times when there are fewer people than many. But the gospel doesn't lose its power and its persuasion throughout history. And we definitely bear that responsibility. I think about a um, number of People today, men who don't take responsibility for um, providing for their family or caring for their family or being the spiritual leaders that they need to be or just being there, period. I mean, we have a great problem with absent fathers in this country, and most of the problems that the United States endures is because of the broken homes and the lack of fathers. I think about that because I think about the lack of male leadership, and I think about men... It just typically comes to my mind, who's not taking responsibility right now? And I often think about in, in, the, in this world, there's a lot of individuals, specifically men, who don't do that. 
I mean, where are the Christian leaders and men today? We have a number in here tonight, but when you look across the church and you look at why our churches are entering, emptying out, it's because of men. The statistics have borne this out. It was Lifeway research that showed that mothers who went to church that and continually went every Sunday, that their children, I think it was about 20% of them, would continue to go to church throughout the rest of their life. But if their father went to church and was committed, then their children 95% of the time would be committed to being in the assembly and continuing as Christians. Um, there may be, I know there are exceptions to that, but I thought that was a very interesting, interesting study. And I think you can find that very easily if you search for it and Google it. Ezekiel, Israel's watchman. So we have here in Ezekiel 33 and verse 7, as God also said to Ezekiel before, he says here, he says, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning. That's your job. That's your, your mission as a prophet and a messenger of God. The responsibility to speak is still upon us today. We go a little bit further down in Ezekiel, the next two verses, verses 8 and 9, and we read this. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn, to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. He doesn't escape his sin because you didn't warn him. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity but you will have delivered your soul. I read this and, and I, I feel that duty and responsibility that we definitely need to speak and try to stay away from avoiding it. Many of us, I know we have family and it seems kind of strange to bring the subject up over and over again, even with friends. Um. But I think we, we need to be thinking about a way to pace that out. Yes, I don't want to ruin a friendship completely where I can't ever reach them because I continue to hammer them um, with the subject. But I think I've shared with you that when, I, when I've been around my family, you know, one visit with them, I may not say anything. But the next visit, every other time I'm with, with somebody who is not a Christian, I try to make it a priority that I'm going to be encouraging them, telling them, this is where you need to be. This is the God who created you. You owe him your life. Christ died on the cross for you. You owe him your life. You owe him what, everything that you have, every blessing that you have, the very fact that you, can, you have a body and you can breathe air, you, you owe God everything. And to build upon that, to ask about that. Um, why would God want the wicked to be saved anyways? Why would he want the wicked to be saved today? They're evil. Let them die. Why warn them? Why tell people to repent? I think we all know people that we care about who do things that are wrong. In fact, we ourselves. A lot of us love ourselves, but we also know our sins more than anything else. We know the details and the things that we have done. We know the mercy and the grace of God. And the book of Ezekiel brings that out as well. Very much describing God's grace in a, in a way that we can also see in the New Testament. But God wants to warn the wicked. We've seen in the Scriptures that 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, God says He wants all people to be saved, even the rulers of the nation, even the politicians. 
they can be saved too. So, and you can pray for them, the Bible says. And you should, and because they can be saved. I know you might be thinking, no, there's no way that a politician can, can be saved. But yes, they can be. I know I'm, I'm being hyperbolic here. But I, I think you get the point. Uh, warning the wicked here. So we start looking at the idea of warning wicked people. Why warn uh, wicked people? Ezekiel 33, we see what God believes, how much he loves humanity despite their sins and how much he wants to save them. So God says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How can we live? And say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is one of those things where I hear, and I know I'm pausing right here. This is one of those places where I hear people say, I don't believe in the God of the Bible because he just hates bad people or he hates people I like who are kind and nice. And he's, the Bible says he's just going to throw them into hell because he likes to burn people. But that's not what the Bible says. And throughout the scriptures, we see God saying that he has no pleasure in the wicked. And this is referring to their spiritual ultimate death. You want to read more about this? Go to Ezekiel chapter 18 and read that chapter where that chapter says the son does not bear the, the sins of the father and the father does not bear the, sons, the sins of the son. They're not held to those sins. And, and throughout that text, God continues to say that he doesn't want any of them to die. He doesn't want the wicked to just die. Here you have a description here of the righteous that are left in Israel saying our transgressions are so, are so great it's rotting us away. How can we live? And God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's what God wants. That's exactly what we read about in 2 Peter. God wanting everyone to, to repent and not perish. And he says here, God says, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Notice the emphasis, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why do people die? Why are they not being warned? And so this is the message given to the watchman to say, turn back, repent of your sins. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like New Testament teaching that we tell people you need to change, turn away from the wickedness and evil and turn to God. God loves you and he wants you to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would God give grace to those who have repented of a wicked life, even in the Old Testament? You know, to us as Christians, that might be obvious. Be like, yeah, if you have a, if you, you're a sinful life, then you need to be saved. But in the Old Testament, and, and specifically in Ezekiel, you have a group of people who are mocking this. Oh, well, how can God be just? You hear people talk about that today. So you have a description of God that's wrong. When they start talking about God, it's like loving the 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 death and the eternal punishment of wicked people. And now you also have a, another description we're going to read here in Ezekiel of wicked people saying, oh, God's unjust because he saves wicked people who've repented. But you know, they live most of their life in an evil life. Recently, I had a certain person come to me, an individual, and said, how can God save me? How can God save me? Because look at all my sins. You don't know my sins. And they started listing some of their sins to me. And they said, especially this sin. They told me a very grievous sin that they had committed. And, they, and, and this person said, how can I be saved? And I thank God that I was able to tell them, 
you can be saved from that. You can have your sins washed away. Look at the Apostle Paul who voted to have people, Christians, put to death, yet he saved and he wrote half the New Testament. So would God give grace to those who have repented life and yet you have a certain, another group of wicked people calling God unjust for forgiving people who have lived a mostly evil life. Look here in Ezekiel 33, 12 through 13. And God says, And you, son of man, notice that description throughout Ezekiel, this is 80 times throughout the book of Ezekiel, son of man, say to, to, to your people, the righteous of the righteous, notice this, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. Your own righteousness cannot save you. Does that sound familiar? We all sin. And God says, And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live. Yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. It's an interesting statement. You can't be prideful before God. The man who thinks his righteousness is good enough to where God can't hold him accountable is going to fall. And his sins are going to increase. He's going to do injustice. He's going to sin. The man who leans on his own righteousness. But then God says about the wicked man and his wickedness, if he turns from his wickedness, he will live. I think what's emphatic here in Ezekiel 33 is I don't have eternal life unless God gives it to me and it's not by my righteousness. And if I repent of my wickedness, it is God who saves me. Sounds very New Testament. Keep reading here down to verses 14 to 16. Notice the descriptions here. 33, 14 to 16. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he's taken by robbery. Notice that as being a part of repentance. If you steal something and you repent, you make reparations for it. You give it back. It says, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That none of your sins will be remembered when you repent and turn to God. All the things that you've done, the worst sin that you've committed, that one nagging thing, the stupid thing that you said or you did, that you wish that you could just wipe away. And God remembers it no more. And then God says, he has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. So God here is showing mercy to the wicked, but the wicked don't like it. Why would anyone reject God's grace here? Why would they call it unjust? Let's look here. The people who call God unjust are unjust. The people who think of God as being a wicked and cruel God are themselves wicked and cruel. Because God is not. He wants all to be saved. And so God's telling his watchmen here in Ezekiel, warn the people. Tell them, tell them the good news. Tell them to turn. Tell them that God will save them, that God cares about them. 
And they can't be saved in their own righteousness, but they can turn from their wickedness, and God will save them. Ezekiel 33, 17 to 20, let's look a little bit further. Israel was quick to complain. There's some there who are wicked, accusing God of being unjust. It just sounds silly to me why someone could even think like this. But we still hear that today. It's often in our society the hypocrites that are out proclaiming and declaring, look at what all the hypocrites are doing and all the sinners and how all this corruption. And it's the hypocrites that are acting like, oh, we, we've got nothing that we've done wrong. And it's, you, you see it in the news all the time. Ezekiel 33, 17 to 20, he says, Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just. Israel says the way of the Lord is not just. How can you judge God, the creator of everything, the source of all goodness? It says here, when it, it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. So you live mostly a righteous life. You come down to your last five years of your life and you're a wicked person. You're going to die for that and die in it. You live a wicked life and down to the end you do repent. God will forgive you. And some people think this is unjust. But that's because they don't understand salvation being by grace. And when the wicked turns from his wicked, turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. You shall say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. Striking. I have noted up there on the screen uh, chapter 18. You can begin in verses 21 and following and read something very similar to what we read here and other detail. In fact, I would just encourage you to read all of Ezekiel 18. It's a little bit of a follow-up to this. There's a lot here in the book of Ezekiel that should be encouraging to us. What I want us to understand tonight is, you know, Ezekiel is a messenger in God and a watchman faces a lot of the same accusations, a lot of the same claims, the same struggles that we do today in proclaiming the gospel here 2,500 years later. What we do see in the scriptures is that God wants all to repent and to be saved. And he's given a mission to the church to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. So I ask you tonight, will you warn someone? Will you give them hope of eternal life that's only through Jesus Christ? Are you the watchman? Are you going to blow the trumpet? Are you going to call the wicked to repent? Are we too afraid of that? You know, I, I'd like to keep the way things are in my relationship. I don't want to, to ruin it. And maybe there's, there is a good reason to ruin, I guess, ruin a relationship. When someone won't listen to you as you warn them, they won't listen to the words of Christ, they won't listen to God, and over, over again you continue to warn them. God bless you, those in here who do warn. We do tell others the truth because I know that you do it. And I like hearing about it. And I know it pleases God. As we finish tonight, I want to conclude with Ezekiel 18, 30-32. And here we read, God says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. That sounds familiar. We just read something similar in chapter 33. 
declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. God wants to warn. Our God warns. We must warn. He says, cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. I'm just going to pause there for a second. I have a few other scriptures up there. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 is most notable. Where Ezekiel says there's a new covenant coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And he's going to change you, your hard heart, into a new one. The Bible puts both the responsibility on us as the responsibility is on God to change us, that we also turn and that we make for ourselves a new heart and a new spirit. I think that's something to think about tonight. If you've been living in sin and wickedness, you can turn from it and all your sins will be washed away. Remembered no more is what we read about in Ezekiel. And the same is taught through the blood of Christ in the New Testament. And the only way that Ezekiel was actually able to say all these things and God was able to accomplish it is because the Messiah would come and die. Let me finish the reading of Ezekiel 18 here. It says, Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. God wants to see all saved. There's no reason why we should not act to take the responsibility to warn others to be the watchman. Tonight, if you need to put on Christ in baptism, you need to repent of your sins and turn to God, you can do that. You can have your heart changed, and the gospel changes us. Everybody in here who has faith and believes and trusts, we know that the, reading the Scriptures and believing in Christ has changed us so that we've died to the old life of sin and been buried in the waters of baptism, and now we live in the newness of life. If you have struggles tonight, you need prayer, and we encourage you to come. Let us sing together.